This doesn't appear to be a good time for the restaurant business, at least if you look at the bankruptcy court docket, as so many restaurant chains have filed for credit protection recently. Hello, this is Jonathan Mays, executive editor with Restaurant Business Magazine. In this week's edition of our podcast, A Deeper Dive, I talk with Jonathan Tivis, managing director of Alvarez and Marcel out of Atlanta, and an expert on restructuring struggling companies. Tybus has worked on numerous restaurant bankruptcies, guiding them through the process as CEO, such as Joe's Crab Shack owner Ignite Restaurant Group, as well as Champs and Fox and Hound. He has worked with struggling chains such as Quiznos and Max and Irma's, and he is currently the CEO of Real Max Restaurants, which is being sold out of bankruptcy court. Tybus will talk about what is driving some companies into bankruptcy, including high rent and heavy debt loads, but also a very challenging operating environment that includes the rising cost of labor. And he talks about how hard it is to operate in certain states. Now, here's Jonathan Tybus. John, welcome to the uh, podcast. Jonathan, thanks for having me. Uh, so uh, we've seen a lot of restaurant companies file for, for, for bankruptcy, particularly this year. Um, is this, do you get a sense that this, is this more common now than it had been in your experience, or is this sort of par for the course? Hey, Jonathan, I think it's par for the course, and there's two parts to that question. One is restaurant failures, and then part B is restaurant failures that lead to a bankruptcy. And, and part A, I think restaurant failures have always been part of our lives and always will be from the mom and pops all the way up to professionally managed large chains. And then companies just uh, come and go, people's people's tastes change, people's desires change, service models change, and, and some restaurateurs lead that, some follow, and some just uh, can't keep up and end up going away. So I think that's always going to be the case. The, the, the factors that drive the marginal companies out of business may change over time. If we go mm-hmm. back in time, just call it 10 years to 2007, 2008, before the beginning of the crisis, we were dealing with restaurant companies then that were that were on the they were losing traffic based on demand drivers, such as people's discretionary income was down because gas prices were up, unemployment was up, and so on. And so my marginal clients back then were just losing people on that. Uh, but casual dining itself was, was doing fine. Uh, may have been at its peak uh, at that point in time in, in real mm-hmm. dollars. So over the, over the 10 years since then, though, the demand drivers have changed where now unemployment is low, gas prices are low, interest rates are low, people are spending money. That's all out there, but now that demand is incredibly fragmented. Uh, in, in the first instance, in casual dining in particular, we've seen the number of restaurants grow at twice the rate of population over the last 10 years. And so that just that just takes your ability to run a restaurant from, you know, having enough demand to drive a 4 or $5 million operation down to a $1.5 to $2 million operation. That becomes just more difficult mm-hmm. when you take into consideration all your fixed costs. And then you have this proliferation of stores people don't just don't go to. And so again your fixed costs come into come into play there. And then you have all the competition from fast casual and you have from grocery stores and delivery change and Uber Eats and, and so on and so forth that that all you know all seek to siphon off that demand. So that demand gets siphoned off, your traffic goes down. Uh what I've seen in almost every client I've had recently is an attempt to take a little price to offset that. And of course that begins the classic death spiral of Prices going up, traffic going down, and, and your your business plan basically is at some point in my future I'm going to have one customer paying me three million dollars to eat here, which isn't realistic. So <laughs> that's that's what drives I think a lot of the, the business failure that we're seeing in the in that restaurant world. 
And then, and then there's, you know, what, what leads those to bankruptcy? That's the second part of that question, I think, which is there are a number of reasons, but I think we've seen the growth of private equity sponsored chains mm-hmm. and the leverage they put on them. And that, that is one of several catalysts, uh, that, that leads companies to a, to a brick wall when they're leveraged up, uh, diminishing liquidity, diminishing traffic, inability to raise prices and saddled with a number of stores that don't perform, which serves to drag down the entire base. And at some point, those become unsustainable, and they end up in Chapter 11. Mm-hmm. Is it is it usually – is right now, do you see that, that uh, companies with too much debt or, or, or burdensome leases uh, are, are a bigger problem? That's a good question, and, and I think it, it is a question of which bullet gets you first mm-hmm. in the context of your diminishing liquidity – over time, you know, restaurants don't have restaurants don't have a lot of assets to monetize. I think everyone in the restaurant world knows if you try and liquidate the equipment in a store, you'll get maybe five or ten cents of the dollar for what you put into it. And outside of that, you know, what do, what do you have to generate cash other than people coming into the door and buying your food at a cost or sorry, a price that is more than what it costs you to serve that food? So once you get into that spiral of traffic is down. We don't have a good answer for it. It's just a matter of time until your liquidity becomes a constraint. And then, mm-hmm. and then it becomes which again, which bullet gets you first? Is it is it your is it your lenders coming after you based on some covenant uh, mm-hmm. in your loan, or is it your landlords squeezing down on you, or is it some combination of those two where the writing becomes more mm-hmm. clear on the wall and there's no other choice? Right, right. So essentially, we have a, a, a situation uh, in the current market where we have you know, a lot of restaurants have, have kind of just have gone away from an ownership, uh, a real estate ownership model, and, and they tend to lease a lot of locations. And then, of course, you have private equity uh, or other investors that have used a lot of debt to, um, you know, they've, they've uh, you know, they've leveraged their, uh, you know, the businesses. And then you have a challenging operating environment, um, all sort of, uh, sort of conspiring to put some companies into bankruptcy. That's right. I think you know, restaurants have always been difficult to operate. That's, mm-hmm. not, that's news. But in the world I live, where I deal with restructured, restructuring restaurants and, and failing restaurants, it's it's easy for me to see the the litany of of horrors that comes with running a a sprawling empire of you know even a fifty or sixty store chain is going to have three or four thousand employees. You're going to have several mm-hmm. hundred contracts. You're going to have you know, a need for some back office support, which is not inexpensive. Those wage rates are going up. Uh, minimum wages are going up across the board, uh, especially in, in states like Minnesota and California, where you and I both are right now, where we're seeing servers making $12, $13, $14 an hour. It, you know, interest rates now are, are sneaking back up again. Food costs you know, will we'll sneak back up with, in line with oil prices going back up. All these things just at the stage for a very, very difficult environment to actually create a positive sales, growth, and profitability model, especially with legacy brands that may have been under-invested in for some time now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is Now, so, yeah, so, I mean, this this is a pretty difficult operating environment, yeah, with, uh, you know, with these with these labor costs. I mean, so is this a, is, is labor, uh, I mean, in the companies that you see, is, is labor like a, a predominant challenge right now, or is it depending on the market? It's a little bit depending on the market. Again, I'm in California now in my client, mm-hmm. and so every single store has 
it's at the very best their their front and back of the house are making nine twenty five an hour, and depending on the specific city or county, it's, it's much higher than that. So that is a, a primary concern, and, and the response, of course, is that there will be there will be price taken by the industry, and the question is, do you want to be the leader? Do you want to be the follower? Mm-hmm. Well, how do you how do you pace that? If you get too far ahead of it, of course, you'll you'll impact your traffic. If you're too far behind it, then you're you're losing opportunity. So it's a difficult challenge to try and figure out exactly where you can go and what your competitors are doing. And and by the way, the you know consumer mindset isn't going to keep up with that pricing until the whole mm-hmm. industry is there. So it's, it's just it's, it is it is I think I would say labor is the primary challenge in the industry right now. Not only not only just the cost of labor, but being able to find mm-hmm. being able to find labor, you know, is 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 one example. Uh, in, in one of my former clients, where I was a CEO, I was I was always on top of the operators to go out and staff up their stores. They were understaffed, and it, as you know, as a restaurant guy, there's nothing worse than mm-hmm. then you're sitting there and your server doesn't come by. So I, yeah. I, was, I was you know beating them over the head every week to go hire people and, and get them in the stores and get them serving. Then I go visit a store and I'd see three servers in the corner on their cell phones playing a game. And uh, you know, the, the the point is, it's not it's not just getting the people; it's actually getting them in the stores, trained up, motivated about their jobs, doing a good job. Because one server in the corner on the phone is as good as three servers, but three servers actually out doing their job will pay for itself ten times over, and that's the right model. But right. it's hard to, hard to absorb the cost. It's also hard to find people who are motivated. Uh, to, to actually provide the provide the service you want, and also it's hard to get them trained up and, and, and engaged when you're when you're watching cost around your training and your uh, you know your, your your ability to be in the stores uh, with regional managers and those kind of things. It's, it's, it's tough to get all of that working. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's and it, it, to me it's just like not just finding labor, but finding good good employees and training them well. Um, and I, I can't tell you the number of times that I've been in a restaurant and, and I've thought to myself, well, we have a, a labor problem right now because you know, the quality of the workforce just isn't quite there, uh, especially in, in some, some restaurant companies. And, you know, and if you're, you're a restaurant company that's challenged with sales as it is, and, you know, you have all these other issues, you know, and you have a lot of leases and you have a lot of debt and, now your labor costs are skyrocketing and, and you're not getting good people in there to begin with. And, you know, it just sort of hurts, um, makes things just all the worse. Yes, that spiral. And in my clients that I've seen, again, in the world I live in is sort of dated brands usually. What, what I've seen is somewhere along the way, performance suffered a little bit. And so somebody made the decision, whether it's the CEO or the equity sponsor, to say, we got to cut some costs. So you... You scale back on IT support. You scale back on training. You, you, you scale back on developing training materials. You, you scale back on having regional managers in the stores on the weekends. You cut some corners on travel, those things. But all that just erodes the quality of operation. And it's, it's the easiest thing in the world to get a customer to not come into your restaurant again. It's the hardest thing in the world to get them to come back again. Mm-hmm. So that's always what I see is, is the, the you, as soon as you see that crack in the traffic going down, You've got a problem on your hands, and it may take a year or two years or four years until that gets you on my radar. Mm-hmm. The situation and your your patience as a sponsor or an owner, but that that break point is I, I think it's more pronounced in restaurants than almost any other industry. Just because mm-hmm. point, we're relying on people to come back frequently to keep your business alive, and if you if you 
if you annoy them one time, there's never coming back. Yeah, 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 that's true. I want, to, I want to get back to something that you said that I found particularly interesting is that you, you, you've seen in a number of situations when, when companies um, – when, when, when companies start having some sales problems or they have liquidity challenges and then they really start um, discounting to get customers in the door. That's pretty common, right? Yes, very common. And what, what, what's, what happens in this situation? What do we, uh, in terms of? Well, what are they thinking, I guess, is my question. <laughs> it's <this> sort of, yeah. <laughs> it just seems, I mean, I mean, I mean, I can guess, but it just seems like, because you know, I've seen it, you know, I mean, I've seen it in a number of the bankruptcies that I've covered where uh, they just uh, just start uh, throwing discounts to get customers in the door, and that doesn't seem to be, that doesn't seem to help at all. Well, same thing. One of my, one of my favorites is the wrong word, but one of the things I'm always sensitive to when I go to a client is almost universally, I'll talk to the marketing person, and they will say something along the lines of, I'm almost hesitant to drive people to the stores because the operators can't execute. Mm-hmm. And then you go up to the operators, and they go, well, our marketing team is horrible because they won't do anything to drive sales. And there's just that, that, that conflict. And, again, remember, I live, in, I live in the ugly end of the restaurant spectrum. So, I mean, it's common for me and hopefully not for all restaurant brands. Mm-hmm. But they, there's just always this conflict. And, and I think what happens is I think it's just panic, right? And I think there's, I think there's an instinct – around when people do see, all right, this, this, you know, we now have a problem. We're seeing traffic down. Uh, we're losing relevance. More competitors are opening around us. So somebody, again, be it the sponsor or CEO or some combination of those two, says, all right, we need, we need to do a restaurant turnaround here. And mm-hmm. the, the, the search is for the easy button. And the easy yeah. button is let's throw out some coupons. And the search is, let's just engineer the menu. Maybe we'll skinny down some portions. Maybe we'll put more rice on the plate instead of protein. Um, you know, maybe we'll have some drink specials, whatever it is. These little things, mm-hmm. they're supposed to entice the customer. But there's some, there's some element of truth is it doesn't really matter if you do all the things, if you can't, if you can't show customers that come in a good experience. So mm-hmm. I think this easy button is the search for the easy button compounds the problem. And the more you chase those easy buttons, the, the longer your problem goes on, as opposed to going, look, we, we have we have a real issue here with these operations. We have some real issues with some of these stores. What can we sustainably build around here, and how do we attack that? And I, I think it's an interesting comment that most of the bankruptcies I'm involved with are sale processes, sale processes as opposed to plans or reorganizations. Mm-hmm. Because if, if somebody was proactive and got ahead of the curve and said, we see this problem, we know we have too many stores in the wrong locations. Uh, we know we have too much overhead. We know we have, uh, you know, these various problems in our operations. We could actually clean it up now by virtue of a bankruptcy. It would be a, it would be a cleaner bankruptcy that would afford you the op- the option to actually turn around. But anyway, mm-hmm. in fact, I think what people do is they don't want to, they don't want to recognize their loss through a formal process, and so they just let the let the Business erode over some period of time until the option, the, the 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 opportunity to fix the operations is now gone, and your only recourse is just a, a sale process. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like it's sort of like a my analogy is a, a a jet. You can take all the gas out of it, and it will fly for some period of time, but then it won't. And, and yeah. I think that's where you know my in that analogy, my my place in the world in the last few years has been ten minutes before touchdown, and how do we how do we uh, do our best job <laughs> salvaging pieces? But you're mm-hmm. not the play at that point, right? Right. So how do you like your your so 
what do you do? You're, what do you, how do you, what, how do you fix these things? I mean, how, what's, what's your, when you step into a, uh, you, you step, um, into the pilot seat of that plane that's, you know, 10 feet from touchdown, what do you do? And then how do you get, well, how do you get that thing, um, in working order again? Yeah. One of my first conversations I always have with the lender or the sponsors or the management team that I'm, that I'm interviewing with is, Who's putting money into this? How much money are they putting in? And how much time do we have to work on this? Mm-hmm. Depending on those answers, you have different outcomes. If the answer is, and again, my, my last couple have been this way, if the answer is no one's putting money in and we need, a, we need a solution right now, then the response is, okay, well, let's just prep this thing for Chapter 11, go find a buyer, and, and execute that as cleanly, as cheaply as we can to get this asset in the hands of somebody who does have, excuse me, who does have some patience and does have an interest in investing in the company and the brand and building that culture back up because there's no, there's no, there's no easy button. A restaurant turnaround is a grind. If no one here is going to do it, then, mm-hmm. uh, then let's find someone who will. If the answer is, I think there, there are some, some sponsors on the other end of the, the restaurant curve that I'm in that do have patient capital and do have, uh, uh, you know, a vision for the future and are willing to invest uh, in the near term, with the understanding that will pay off dividends later on, then you have a different, then you have a different, a whole different world to look at. And then the things you can do are, are standard, good restaurant management practices, which is maintaining the culture, investing in training, making sure you have people in the stores, you know, worrying about supply chain, worrying about long-term, uh, you know, marketing, long-term supply contracts, being partners with your landlords. All that kind of stuff, which is a whole different world than I live in. I think mm-hmm. just like there's, a def- there's definitely a negative spiral, there's, there's clearly a positive spiral. And that sort of speaks to, well, I'm sitting here, and we're talking about bad restaurants that are that are dated and stale and, and, and you know, descending over time. At the same time, you've seen in this world, and you cover this, uh, mm-hmm. and I, my only knowledge of this is from reading your articles, really, is there's a whole different world of high multiples and growing brands and excitement around <laughs> restaurants and the negative cash conversion cycle being great for this economy and, and so on. And, and I only read about those brands. But that's out there. But I think it's just a matter yeah. of somebody's got to, somebody has to sit down, whoever's making the decision, and say we're either going to we're either going to take time and spend money to get this right and get the store base right, and it will take it will take time. It'll take one, two, three years, or we're not. And if the answer is not, then the mistake I see most often in the industry is people saying effectively, we're not going to invest. We're not going to give it time, but we're going to wait until things get better. We're going to roll over soft comps. Uh, we're going to throw out a coupon, and that's going to be the answer. And that's just kicking the can mm-hmm. down the road and not very far. Yeah, yeah. There is this, uh, you know, there is definitely this world of, of high multiple brands and and uh, excitement behind uh, restaurants. It does, it does, it does exist. It does. I only read about it. I envy the people who are in that. It seems yes. It's, uh, uh, well, it is until uh, they start having problems themselves because they overgrow or do things that they're not supposed to do. And, um, you know, and, and uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's an interesting scenario. Is, um, 20, 20 years ago, I probably shouldn't make name, must be mean, but 20 years ago, uh-huh. uh, I guess more than 20 when I was in grad school, the place to be, on one night was a is a very familiar casual dining brand that yeah. everyone would know. But that was the place to go. That was where all mm-hmm. the cool kids went. And 
I don't think anyone I know would would uh, feel like that's a good place to be anymore. Right. Well, you know, yeah. Well, these things run in cycles, and like today's, I mean, the fast casual restaurants today that are like the hot brands are going to be the the chains that are are struggling and and trading owners uh, down the road. If, um, uh, you know, it's, it's consumers. I think are are fickle. And, you know, generations always like to do something different, and and, uh, this is, you know, no different, I don't think. I think that's right. Yeah. So um, uh, one of the the questions I want to ask is, is, and this maybe goes back to the employment question or something else, but we have seen a couple of brands that are sort of focused on California that have gone – uh, into bankruptcy, I think uh, Real Max and um, uh, you, you know uh, Garden Fresh and, and, and companies like that. Is is the environment there that challenged uh, at the moment? Is is that playing a role or or is it not? Um, or it is. I think it's uh, it's worth noting that I'm, that I'm currently uh, I'm sitting in the CEO's office at Real Max right now. I am the interim CEO of Real Max, so I have some inside knowledge about that particular situation. I also did some work for Garden Fresh uh, about eight or nine years ago, so I'm familiar with both brands. But I think I think the answer there is is clearly yes. The the, the in the first instance, the labor costs here are are higher than national average, and again, we have minimum wages in some locations over thirteen dollars an hour, and, and scheduled to increase. The real max by virtue of being a Mexican restaurant is in, is, is a little bit insulated in the sense that its food costs. Uh, is relatively low relative to most uh, cash buying restaurants, and, and I don't mean that disparagingly. I mean, there's a lot of you know rice and beans and tortillas and chips, and those things just aren't high cost, and so that that's a that that helps offset that labor cost. But on top of that, California is I should say it's it's beautiful, it's always beautiful, but mm-hmm. uh, operate here is, is really challenging because you have that. Uh, there's certainly a, a a whole layer of ADA compliance issues that's unique to California. Uh, you know, there's a constant, constant scramble to keep ahead of ADA lawsuits and, and make sure your buildings are, are up to snuff and, and figure out how to fund those costs with your landlords. Sometimes you can't, and so we're dealing with, with that. And then there's also, I think, just a higher instance of employee litigation in in California than I've seen in, in, in other locations. And so you take all that, and you need to have, you know, a legal team around all those things, a compliance team around that. And there's just the cost of compliance, the cost of the labor costs here, which, which mm-hmm. makes that much more difficult. It's just a little more incremental cost. And again, you know, that, that shows up in pricing, but you can't get too far to your competitors, and and, and that's that's the challenge. That's the balance you have to, you have to strike. It's just a higher fixed cost base here that goes along with everything else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why? Um, why do we see um, uh, one of the interesting things is that we, we there, somebody always steps in to buy these companies, and that this is the one that always finds that I always find very interesting about this business is that in in all of these situations somebody comes in, you know, you you close some stores, uh, you know, get some debt off the books, and then somebody steps in and buys them, and and. Uh, yeah, it's it's also not uncommon to see Chapter 22, Chapter 23, uh, I seem to recall it, Chapter 44. Um, uh, you know, it's it, it just where these situations sort of perpetuate themselves. Hey, why is the restaurant business that 
why is why is why is what's the reason for this scenario? Why do why do companies always step in and buy it? Yeah, that, that's an excellent question, and of course I've met a number of people in that world, and they see opportunity. Mm-hmm. I think it just comes down to there are people who walk into these situations and go, look, you know, I, I can pick, I can cherry pick the stores I want, get mm-hmm. rid of all stuff that that is dragging down the the average. So I might be paying, you know, what's four, even five times EBITDA based on the company's run rate, but I'm really picking up the stores I want for two times, and someone says less than two times EBITDA, I'm willing to take that risk, and maybe I've got something I can do with it operationally to get some synergies, you know, especially a, a strategic buyer who's just buying mm-hmm. for a small there's, there's a reason to do that. And, you know, let's just call them, let's call them, thank God for the optimists that think they can take some of these brands and do good things with them, and that's, that, that's good, right? And that, that is right. the purpose of uh, Chapter 11 and the purpose of having a sale process is to, again, get – Get these assets into the hands of somebody who's willing to invest in them, and and, and give it time to turn it around. So, God bless them. Uh, I'm glad they're out there, and I, I I'm I'm pleased to know there are people in this world who have that level of optimism and willing to take on that risk. Right. And then the, the dark side of that, of course, as you referenced with the 22s and 33s, is a bankruptcy is very disruptive to a restaurant company. Um, yeah. In in the in the time that it takes to get from and let's call it you know, a month before filing where you're doing all the preparations. And from then until when you can emerge from bankruptcy, whether you're going through a sale process or a, or a, uh, reorganization plan, it, it's, you know, it's three months. In the meantime, everyone's in limbo. Your landlords don't trust you. Your vendors are, are very, uh, nervous about continuing to business with you. People will raise prices on you. People will contract your terms. And, and I've learned from having been CEO of a company that was uh, post Chapter 11 pre 22 that that doesn't go away. The backside mm-hmm. of bankruptcy is also a tremendous amount of work, and that goes from your accounting staff to your your finance staff, to your operations staff down to the stores. In the meantime, there are a lot of good restaurant employees. You know, a restaurant employee can walk up the door anywhere in the country, a good one, and go across the street and get a job that day, if not the next yeah. day. And that goes up to managers. So a lot of these people which is purely natural, say, look, I'm, I'm working for a, you know, a dated brand, just filed for bankruptcy, maybe, second time. Why don't I just walk across the street and get my exact same job, but now I'm working with a, a brand that's got a little more uh, uh, polish on it, a little more stability to it. And so you end up, you know, going through that process, and you lose the faith of your suppliers, you lose the faith of your uh, landlords, you lose some of your good employees, some of your good managers. And so and then you've got to rebuild from that, and I think that's where – I would be hesitant to buy a company out of bankruptcy myself just because I know that that, that just increases the amount of patience and capital required to, to mm-hmm. turn around. And then that's where I think if you're buying something even for two times EBITDA, you know, there's another turn of EBITDA or more you've got to put into it before you start seeing uh, before you start seeing the positive outcome. So you're not really buying it for two. You really are buying it for four. It's just it's just uh, two on the barrel and two on the come maybe. Yeah, yeah. And And, and, and now we're getting these uh, we're getting companies, a number of companies actually, kind of a surprising number that that are are sort of collecting a lot of these chains. Um, uh, you know, Macaroni Grill and, and and companies like that that are 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 building um, uh, multi-brand companies out of out of of troubled chains. Sure, 
And I think that makes sense. This goes back to if you, if you take a 30,000-foot view of the market, it is a consolidating industry. Mm-hmm. And if you're if you're in this space, then your your options eventually are be a consolidator or be consolidate's head. And so I, I see the I see the logic there to go, look, we can yeah. we can have a common back office for you know finance, marketing, information technology, and so on. You just have all these brands. And again, I think I think some people would realize that an average brand in a good location with an average you know average brand, average menu, average management team in a good location will still make money in spite of itself. Mm-hmm. And so you pick some of those up and you 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 kind of skinny down the the SGNA based on having scale. And I think that's a I think that's a logical strategy. Yeah. I think it's I think it's difficult to integrate brands. I think it's difficult to manage multiple brands so that they're distinct uh, over time. That's a challenge. That's a management challenge that can be solved. So I don't think it's a I think that's just what we're going to see more and more of over time. Oh, yeah. Certainly casual dining, but I think you'll start seeing that again in in fast casual as we move down the road, and those become subject to the same economic forces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very, very big trend in the restaurant space right now. Um, sir, uh, really, thank you very much for for joining us uh, this week on the podcast. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Thanks for the opportunity. A Deeper Dive by Restaurant Business is edited by Kimberly Colley. Artwork by Nico Hines and Sarah Stewart. Contributors to this podcast include Sarah Rushworth, Heather Lally, Pat Kobe, and Peter Romeo. Executive producer is Sarah Lockyer. You can find this and other episodes on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash podcast. You can also find them on iTunes, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Jonathan Mays, your host and podcast producer. Thank you for listening.